If a stranger calls out to you at night, a voice so very human but distant, it is best you do not listen. Do not follow that voice into the night. You do not know what will wait for you there. Upon the plains of the southern western United States, in the heart of Arizona, Colorado, Utah and New Mexico, the Navajo tribe speaks of an evil sort of person, boogeymen, users of black magic that they call the skinwalkers. Or rather, they do not speak of it at all, for speaking about these creatures will only attract them and the bad luck they bring. Or worse, a skinwalker could be living amongst them and take their revenge for daring to speak their name. Fear for the skinwalkers runs deep and the belief that they are real is still very much alive. But it shocked the nation when a woman was killed in Flagstaff, Arizona in 1987 and the defense of the main suspect claimed that it was not him but a skinwalker who had killed her. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Certainly Strange. Today we are diving into the topic of skinwalkers, or rather, the skinwalker murder of 1987. I mean, the title gives off the feeling like there's a skinwalker murder each year, but no, this is actually the only case ever where a skinwalker was blamed for such a crime, in public at least. So in a way, this episode is a bit of a mix between true crime and an urban legend. But to many people, skinwalkers are not just urban legends, they are very real. When I was researching the topic of skinwalkers in general, I came upon this story of this murder that happened in Flagstaff. And I was surprised, because I've personally only been to the United States once in my life, back in 2019, as a bit of a... A sort of student exchange project and uh, where I went was what I at the time believed was like the middle of nowhere it was like I've never I'd never heard of it my classmate had never heard of it it was a small town in Arizona by the name of Flagstaff and um, we stayed at the Northern University Northern Arizona University there and ever since then uh, Flagstaff, Arizona has been popping up now and again with these sort of stories. For example, Flagstaff is also home to a haunted hotel by the name of Monte Vista. I believe that Haunted or Hoax has actually an episode about the Monte Vista. And uh, now also as the scene of a murder that is committed by, by something that is far more terrifying than any ordinary cryptid. So... Without any further ado, let's get into the story. For the Navajo tribe, magic is an everyday part of life. But those who choose to use this magic and their rituals to harm others instead of help them, to spread disease instead of cure them, they walk the path of the skinwalker, the witchery way. It is believed that these skinwalkers can change into the shape of any animal or possess another human simply by locking eyes with them. They use their animal shape to travel unnoticed, to stalk another person and to dig up graves of the deceased to then use their bones and hair as ingredients of their crafts, creating curses and poisons that will spread chaos and disease. 
Skinwalkers have been described as not quite human and not fully animal either. They mimic sounds that might draw someone's attention, like a human voice of a stranger that might be in trouble, in order to lurk their victims to their deaths. In a way, skinwalkers are the boogeymen who are blamed when someone grows ill or goes mad, with tribe members saying that this sick person must have been struck by one of the poisonous darts of the skinwalker. The legend of the skinwalker also teaches young Navajos that they should never stray from Navajo values by being uh, uncaring for others, and that they should never disturb the balance of life by seeking power that is not theirs to have. It also teaches them to be cautious, do not trust strangers, and never follow strange noises. But to the Navajo, skinwalkers are more than just a cautionary fairy tale. American crime novelist Tony Hilleman spoke to a lot of Navajos about skinwalkers for his novel. A lot of Navajos will tell me, especially when they don't know me very well, that they don't believe in all that stuff. And then, when you get to be a friend, they'll start telling you about the first time they ever saw one. One night, a woman in Flagstaff, Arizona was driving across Navajo land, and she was driving at the speed of about 60 miles per hour when she suddenly heard a tapping on her window. When she looked at the side, to her shock, she saw something that was not human and not animal running alongside her car. Luckily for her, the thing darted away without doing her any harm, but this would not be the only time when Flagstaff was bothered by an apparent skinwalker. The air was hot and dry that evening in June. Flagstaff is a town located in the mountains where the air is always drier than it is on the plains. This June had been a particularly hot one, with temperatures rising to 89 degrees Fahrenheit. Sarah Saganitso was a housekeeper at the Flagstaff Medical Center, and on that particular night, on the 12th of June, she was working her first late shift there. When Sarah did not return home the next morning, her family grew worried. They called to the medical center, and there, in the rocky area behind the building, lay her body. It was hard to recognize her. So very mutilated was her body, and so very bruised was her face. A friend later told the newspaper that the only way that they could tell that this was Sarah was by her hair. The murder scene was particularly brutal. Sarah had been stabbed several times, her torso had numerous stab wounds. A broken stick had been left on her neck and a clump of grass was found near her car. Animal hair was found in her mouth and in her wounds, but strangest of all, Sarah's left breast had been partially bitten off. Had her body been found and eaten by wild animals? It seems not, because the teeth marks that they found were human. Let's backtrack a little. Apart from some newspaper articles, nearly nothing can be found about this murder case, and even less about its victim. Looking up her name, Sarah Seganitso, you won't even find a picture of her. So, who was she? 
Sarah was born into a big family that was part of the Navajo people. She was one of 15 children born on a reservation in Tuba City in Arizona in 1947. When Sarah was in her 20s, she decided to move to Flagstaff, where she started working at the Flagstaff Medical Center as part of the housekeeping department. She was quiet, a bit of an introvert, but she was overall well-liked by her colleagues. At 36, she had a son by the name of Elvin. The identity of Elvin's father was a mystery and Sarah continued living as a single mother in a trailer park in Flagstaff. That summer, in 1987, Sarah was training to take over the evening shift, which took place from 3pm to 11pm. And on the 12th of June, it was her very first time truly and fully taking over the shift. A co-worker told investigators that she last saw Sarah around 5 minutes before she was due to clock out at 10.55pm. That next morning, her family found that Sarah had not returned home. Worried, they called the medical centre, who were as surprised and worried as the family was. They too had not seen Sarah since that last evening. When they went to look at the parking lot of the building, they found that Sarah's pickup truck was still parked in the same spot. Clearly, she had not left her shift last night. Her family grew even more concerned than before and came to the Flagstaff Medical Center themselves to search the area. At 2.30pm, the search party, consisting of people who knew and loved Sarah, her family and her co-workers, found her mutilated body just 300 feet away from the parking lot. Investigators would later conclude that Sarah must have died right around the time that her shift had ended, so that one co-worker who saw her at 10.55pm, she must have seen her only minutes before her death. Which gives me shivers. It looked as if she had been robbed, her clothes, glasses, money, identification card, even her hearing aid, everything had been taken. Her body was as I have described, multiple stab wounds covering her torso and her face was beaten beyond recognition. Strange enough, Sarah was not stabbed to death. Her death was determined to be asphyxiation. She was strangled to death. Besides a broken stick upon her neck and a clump of grass that investigators suspect came from a graveyard nearby, there was also animal hair in Sarah's mouth and in her wounds and the breast was partially eaten off. These things made the community in Flagstaff suspect that Sarah's death was not simply a robbery turned murder. It must have been a ritual. But I'll tell you about that more later. Police started to look into Sarah's personal relations. Her family, ex-boyfriends, co-workers, everyone was a suspect. One of Sarah's ex-boyfriends was questioned, a man by the name of Frank Nokidana. He was 53 at the time and part of the Navajo tribe too, as Sarah was as well. Sarah and Frank started dating about 12 years earlier and the family recalled that Frank was not at all a sweetheart. He was abusive. One night, 
When the two had had a fight, Frank had abandoned Sarah standing naked in the snow in the desert. He would also often threaten Sarah that he would one day kill her. So of course, when Sarah was found murdered, the police came knocking at his door. Several days prior to her death, Sarah had confided in her sister, Rosemary, telling her that she felt as if she was being followed. In that same week, Sarah confessed to a counsellor that she feared a man, that he was stalking her, but she never told the man's name. Was it Frank? It couldn't have been. Frank had an alibi. The night of Sarah's murder, he had attended a sweat lodge ceremony in Tuba City, Arizona, which was 128 kilometers north of Flagstaff. Frank also told police that he was not the man who had been stalking Sarah. Last he had seen her was about one and a half years ago. But the Navajo medicine man who facilitated the sweat lodge that Frank was supposedly at as part of his alibi, he had told police that he had not seen Frank there at all that night. But let's be like the police and forget about Frank altogether. At least for now. George Abney was a 35-year-old alumni of Northern Arizona University who went on to get a master's degree in English and for a while taught English at Northern Arizona University, which by the way um, is located in Flagstaff. Now, George was a bit different than other people. He was extremely religious and through his religion he believed that he had prophetic dreams, such as memories or being able to see the future and all of that being shown to him by God. About two months had passed since the murder of Sergio Zaganisto when he heard of the crime. And George suddenly remembered that shortly before Sarah had been killed, he had had a nightmare that had shown him the murder and the murderer, a man by the name of Miguel Diaz. He went on the phone with his pastor and he told him all about the dream. This pastor then thought to himself, hey, this is kind of weird, let's tell this to the police. And because of that, George was brought in for questioning by the police. And well, it was a bit of a roller coaster. The police told George that this Miguel Diaz was just a figment of his imagination, shaped by everything George thought was bad and evil. And in truth, the police suspected George of the murder. And when George admitted that he had been molested as a child and due to the trauma sometimes dissociated from his body, the police turned it into a sort of Jekyll and Hyde situation where George's evil counterpart was Miguel Diaz and that he had committed the murder. At first, George was doubtful, but when the police told him that his teeth matched the markings left on the body, things started to change. Now George too believed that he must have been the murderer. In nine and a half hours of interrogation, George started to recall details of the murder. For example, of how Sarah had been wearing traditional Native American clothes. She hadn't been, of course, she was just wearing housekeeping clothes. 
And George also apparently made not one, not two, not three, but eight wrong guesses as to how Sarah had died. According to George, and this was his story of how the whole murder happened, he had gone to Flagstaff Medical Center to seek treatment for depression. Why he turned up there at 11pm, you know, there's no explanation for that, but he was turned away, which is when he bumped into Sarah, who offered to get a drink with him. According to George, they had a drink after which Sarah drove him back to the medical center for George to pick up his car. He says that this was the time that Sarah tried to make a move on him, which he refused, and apparently Sarah got angry and hit him. George then said that he blacked out in anger and in rage he must have killed her, but he simply didn't remember any of it. So here we are, a vague confession that is not at all supported by the evidence that was found on the scene of the crime, which was also made on the pressure of the police after a very long interrogation and with no physical evidence to speak of to support it all. Well. There were the teeth marks, right? Apparently that was all a lie by the police just to get George to talk. The teeth marks and George's teeth were consistent but it was not at all conclusive and it needed further investigation. To me, this all seems like it was just a very confused man who was taken advantage of by a police force that was getting desperate to close a case. On the 1st of September, George Abney was arrested for the murder of Sarah Zaganitso. You know what the response of the public was? Those who knew him apparently went, Yeah, checks out. He was kind of weird and he was kind of creepy. George was described as being socially inept, which if this was me and it turned out that I was innocent at the end of the day, I would be like, what the fuck guys? I would be so pissed off because at this point of the story I'm already like yeah this guy is completely innocent he has nothing to do with this crime he's just being taken advantage of but someone who didn't think that he was innocent watched George himself he had a very heavy conscience writing to a friend that he was worried that he might have killed other people in the past without even knowing it that's how much they messed with his head even when two friends of George came forward with an alibi that would clear George of any guilt, he was kept behind bars. George Bellows was George's roommate who worked at the Flamingo Motor Hotel, a motel down in Flagstaff. There he met up with his friend Guillermo and George, our George, the one who was blamed for the murder of Sarah, stopped by the hotel later that night at around 11.30pm. The three men talked late into the night and after some sleep went out for some breakfast. It simply couldn't have been George who had committed the murder. You can't commit a murder and then make your way to the other side of town to meet up with friends without a trace of blood, all in 30 minutes. But because Guillermo had given multiple differing accounts of that evening, the defense barred him from testifying on George's behalf. Now, as to why he had given varying versions of his story, there might have been many reasons for that. He might have been very tired, just 
misremembering some things, and perhaps something might have happened in this meetup by night that he prefers not to share with the police. Also, police, they couldn't care less. They had a confession, that's all they needed. And so, on the 19th of July, 1988, the trial began. The trial was actually going rather well for George. Experts came to the conclusion that the teeth marks on Sarah's body were not teeth marks at all. They were more likely made by a serrated knife, like a hunting knife or a bread knife. Also, a lot of people who knew George came forward to testify in his favour, telling the jury that he was a kind and gentle sort of person. Quiet, but very intelligent, not at all someone who was capable of murder. But despite all of this, the defence team still thought it was best to bring forward a final theory that might work in their favour. Who was to blame for the murder of Sarah Saganitso? It was none other than a skinwalker. George's defence team claimed, The marks left on the victim's body suggest that the killing was ritualistic, that a practitioner of witchcraft may have been responsible. What was it exactly that they were talking about? Well, the bite, quote-unquote, Bite marks found on Sarah's body apparently were in the shape of a crescent moon, one of the calling cards of a skinwalker. Then there was the lump of grass, supposedly taken from a graveyard. It almost speaks for itself how this could be a part of a ritual of death. And there was also this broken stick that had been placed on her neck and the animal fur found in her mouth and wounds. There are truly a lot of people who believe that the murder of Sarah Zegnitso was indeed a ritualistic killing, especially with herself being a Navajo woman. There are also plenty of people who suspect that the killer simply only tried to make it look like a ritualistic killing. But for now, the most important question is, what did the jury think? It took them only four hours to conclude that there was enough reasonable doubt for George to be acquitted for the crime. It must be said, however, that the skinwalker theory that the defence had thrown up apparently was not the thing that tipped the skills. Sarah's family, too, did not believe that George was guilty. Sarah's sister, Rosemary, even went on to advocate for people who were forced by police to give false confessions. I think that speaks volumes of what she thought about the whole ordeal. Up to this day, Sarah Zaganitso's murder remains unsolved. So, was it a skinwalker? Someone wanting to become a skinwalker? Or something else that happened? I have some thoughts about it, which I will tell you all about after a word from one of my friends over at the Boopot Network. Hello and welcome to Horror Roulette, where you never know what you're going to get. We're your hosts. I'm Em, and that's my brother Nick. Each week we spin the Wheel of Misfortune to randomly generate an episode topic, which makes our lives miserable, but this podcast listenable. We've covered everything from the Toy Box Killer to Jack and Jill, 
From Ed Wood to Black Widows, we've suffered through it all. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out at horrorroulette.com. Listen if you dare. So about this murder, I think the very first thing that I found interesting is that there is a very deep fear for skinwalkers and the fact that the the fence dares to bring the subject up as a, a possibility speaks volumes of how very real people think skinwalkers are and also how very afraid people are of it but still the jury did not take it very seriously and i must say neither did newspapers at the time even when this was a time where there was like this huge satanic panic all around People do believe in skinwalkers, but at the same time, it was not taken very seriously by not Navajo people. But I don't know the sentiment of the Navajo people about this opinion or thought about the trial. I would actually love to read about it, but I haven't been able to find uh, people of Navajo origin or people from Navajo tribes talking about this murder. That is actually a bit of a pity, but at the same time, it's not really surprised because, uh, like I said earlier, they don't like to talk about it. I do know that I've been mentioning, you know, the name of the thing, like Skinwalkers, uh, a lot during this episode, and I know that that is not really appreciated by by Navajo people. Uh, so I apologize if anyone feels offended uh, for my continuous use of the word. Regarding the crime itself. The marks, the idea that the murder was part of a ritual and that the things that they found on the murder scene like are marks of a ritual, they seem so very random to me. It feels like someone who just threw shit at the body. Uh, like, oh, I found a trick, let's just break it and place it on top of a body and oh here's a clump of grass let's just throw it over there it felt like someone who was just trying to cover up the crime by throwing the police off of the scent with doing just random things and he or she the murderer they know about how people would respond to this if you murder someone who is native american uh, and you try to make it look a bit vague like ooh random things then they probably knew that the police and the community would be like oh my god what if it's a ritual and it's like witchcraft ooh and the murderer just being like ooh yeah imagine <clears throat> imagine that <laughs> uh, even though it has nothing to do with it because Looking at this, um, I found it very weird that the police didn't thoroughly follow up on on Sarah's ex, Frank. He said he had an alibi and then the person who he was supposed to be with, the medicine man, being like, no you weren't. Uh, I find that very suspicious and, uh, and also the fact that he was abusive, that he repeatedly told her um, that he would kill her and that people knew about that. Um, if someone threatens a woman saying, I'm going to kill you one day and she ends up murdered and he doesn't have an alibi 
and she is telling people that she is afraid of a certain man uh, and knowing her her history being abused by this man i personally i personally think that i know <laughs> who killed her it's it seems um quite clear uh, and what really baffles me in this case is not just the defense using skinwalkers as a possible theory, as a possible murder suspect it's the absolute incompetence of the police and just misusing or like abusing the their position of power saying to george uh that 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 a part of evidence is linked to him even though that's not true at all and just just abusing his mental weakness or belief against him making him believe that he is a murderer is just so 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 wrong um so my uh, absolute my my thoughts about my theory is that the murder scene isn't a ritual, it's just someone doing random things to throw off the police and I think that this person who did it was Sarah's ex, Frank, and that the police is incompetent. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that last part, that doesn't surprise me anymore. Seeing all the true crime unsolved cases, it just most often comes down to the incompetence of police at that time. But, what do you think? Do you think that there is a possibility that there could be a skinwalker or someone wanting to be a skinwalker and doing this ritual to be, you know, part of the dark magic and all that? Uh, let me know. I would love to hear your thoughts about it. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Certainly Strange. If you liked it, please consider leaving behind a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So, and again, if you have a theory of your own, don't hesitate to share it with me on Instagram at Certainly Strange the Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And once again, thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>